The Woj Pod is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead Goodyear more driven. Relive one of the greatest icons and most successful teams in sports history, Michael Jordan and the 1997-98 Chicago Bulls. Stream the Emmy and NAACP Image Award-winning series, The Last Dance, on ESPN+. This interview is fueled by Gatorade. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here with Cody Zeller of the Charlotte Hornets. Just finished his eighth season in Charlotte and now is heading for the first time in his career into the unknown of NBA free agency. Cody, how are you? Thanks for jumping in here today. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I'm, uh, I don't, I don't want to, you know, put you on blast or start, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Uh, I think the last time that we talked and I, I tell this story to make you feel better. Uh, <laughs> the last time that we talked was a few years ago in Charlotte. And I don't know if you remember this, but we walked past each other at the all-star game and you said, Hey, Tyler, how's it going? Oh, and <laughs> just as we were passing, I, but I promise you, I tell this story to make you feel better because I've been in Charlotte for eight years and to still to this day, I get asked if I'm Tyler Zeller, I get all kinds of go heels comments. You know, Charlotte is, you know, Chapel Hill is two hours down the road. And so anyway, so I, I always roll with it. I take it as a compliment. I love my older brother, but I've signed, I signed Tyler Zeller autographs. I signed go heels. I just roll with it. I just act like I'm Tyler. So I tell you that to make you feel better that well, I wasn't offended by it at all. If it's any excuse, it probably isn't. As soon as it came out of my mouth, <laughs> I think we were walking past each other. We as soon as it came out of my mouth, I knew I knew you were Cody. I don't know why I said Tyler because I, I didn't. Think, I don't live in North Carolina, and I'm not a Tar Heel fan, so I don't have that excuse to I use. Th- I like think other. You, I think you texted like 30 seconds later. It was like I'm. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, but no, we're all good. So anyway, I'm glad to be here, and we're we're on good terms. We're cool. All right, I well that that makes me feel that makes me feel good, Cody. So, uh, <laughs> hey, I want to start here with you, Cody. The NBA Finals and Giannis winning, Giannis and the Bucks winning this championship, and and your connection to Giannis Atenakumpo as part of that draft class of 2013. You went fourth in that draft. Your teammate Victor Oladipo at IU was the second pick to Orlando, and of course Giannis went 15th to Milwaukee. When when you saw him making the run and, and they're going to win it, do, do you feel that connection to him that you guys came into the league together? Does it feel like just something something out there that, that connects, that a draft class connects guys who even if they don't know each other very well, you are connected by having come in the league together? Yeah, I think it, it definitely does. And uh, one of the things that, that connects me with them is I think there's only uh, four players from that draft that are still with their original teams that drafted them. And it's it's me, CJ, and uh, Rudy. Rudy Gobert. And Giannis. So that's that's pretty special for me to be, you know, in Charlotte for all the years of my career and, and just to see Giannis kind of stick with the city of Milwaukee and uh, to win it and, uh, I was I was really happy for those guys, especially as you watch kind of the post game interviews to see, uh, you know, for one, how humble of a of a winner Giannis is, but also, you know, Middleton that came up through the through the G League, kind of an, um, you know, wasn't highly recruited, wasn't highly drafted, 
Um, uh, Drew Holiday has, uh, you know, kind of had his ups and downs throughout his career, even even in the finals. Um, and then Bobby Portis was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, loved by the city of city of Milwaukee. So I think even even as he kind of watched those post game interviews, I think it kind of, you know, I was I was just fine with uh, with them winning the championship, just with how humble and how many uh, you know good pieces that they had built there. Yeah, I don't know that we'll ever have another. Well, unless Milwaukee repeats and their roster doesn't change, uh, and it always is going to change each year, probably. But uh, only one lottery pick on that entire roster: Brooke Lopez, mm-hmm. uh, who was a lottery pick uh, in New, not in Brooklyn, but in New Jersey um, years ago. And that's that's really remarkable. I'm not sure that can that can be repeated. It's it's funny you think back to that 2013 draft, Cody, going into that season. You were a lot of people's projected number one overall pick. Uh, do you remember that discussion? Going, you were coming back at Indiana. You guys had a top five team. You were loaded. You were number one in the country that season. Um, but do you do you remember that conversation around? Like you you looked at some of those mock drafts early. They had Cody Zeller at number one. Yeah, and I think uh, even even uh, rewinding a little a little further, um, I've always kind of followed the path of my older brothers. Obviously, you know Tyler and Luke uh, both spent some time in the NBA and uh, both stayed all four years of college. And when I went to college at Indiana, I planned on staying all four years. And honest to goodness, uh, you know, even though I was a McDonald's All American and um, you know how they recruited, uh, how they ranked, I. I figured I would follow in the steps of my, my brothers and I had a pretty good freshman year. And after my freshman year, um, I remember a conversation with Tyler and he asked me if I was going to stay for my sophomore year. And it, it kind of caught me by surprise because it honestly hadn't even crossed my mind that I would have the option to leave after my freshman year. And I think if I would have, I would have been a top 10 pick. Um, but I knew that we had a good team coming back from my sophomore year. And so I decided to come back and we had a good year. We didn't quite, uh, you know, win a national championship or any of that, but we spent a lot of time that year at number one. And, uh, and I think that, I think it helped having, um, having Vic by my side for that year as well. Um, and he, he kind of, I was, I was glad to share the spotlight with him. He took a lot of the, a lot of the pressure off me, both in the media and on the court, obviously playing together. I think that we made each other better, whether it's, you know, Coach Crean used to always put us against each other, whether we were on the practice court or in the weight room. Uh, me and Vic always competed against each other. So it's, you know, the whole iron sharpens iron thing that uh, we made each other a lot better. So um, even though I was, you know, before the season, I might have been projected at one or top five, whatever it was. Um, it was really gratifying for me to see not only that I was drafted four, but even more so that. I was able to do it with Vic getting drafted second as well. So uh, it was really special to do that with him. That draft night uh, in Barclays Center in Brooklyn, I can't remember another draft that I've covered where there was as much mystery around who was going to go number one right up until Cleveland made the pick. And I remember that day, I want to say around 7 p.m. that night, I think I tweeted out maybe a half an hour before the draft. If the draft started at 730 or whatever it was at about seven that I thought Anthony Bennett might drop and that he was the guy who could drop. And I thought it's funny. I talked to everybody in the lottery and to the back end of the lottery 
And I had just gotten this sense that he had people didn't, you know, they did not have him high enough on their draft board to even go in the lottery. I thought he was going to drop to 16, 17, 18, 19. Hmm. And I think he would have, but he went number one and Cleveland was still talking about taking him. And I didn't believe him. I, I just said, I, I just thought it was smoke and they kept talking about it. And I said, I just, I don't believe they're going to do it. They were trying to trade out of it. And, you know, looking back, you know, it's, I'm curious how different Anthony Bennett's career might have been if he didn't go number one, if he didn't come in with that yeah. expectation, which maybe overwhelmed him because uh, he wasn't ready for it. But do you remember sitting in the green room, not really quite knowing how this was going to go? Yeah. And uh, it, just hearing you talk about that brings up a lot of memories. I think, uh, you know, I think Nerlens Noel was in the mix for it. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people thought that he was. Um, going to go number one and he had the ACL I believe at the end of the year maybe even early on um, in his freshman year so there was a lot of questions about his health um, obviously he was a skinny player but even for him he was you know I think he thought he was going one and he ended up falling to maybe six uh, in the trade I think New yeah. Orleans traded him to that to was Philly. the Drew holiday trade yeah and um, so he was in the mix I think Vic was in the mix um and for for me, I think I had worked out for Charlotte at four, um, all the way to uh, twelve um, was kind of my range, and uh, a, a handful. I think the rumors was that Charlotte liked me at four, and what I learned is that you know GMs and teams would play so many games with each other, and so just a couple of days before the draft, the rumor was that uh, I was liked at Charlotte by four. So Orlando had me work out for them. They last minute flew me in right before the draft at two. And it might, I don't know if they were honestly considering me at two or if they were going to draft me and try to get a lot from me in a trade with Charlotte or, uh, or just to make Charlotte nervous, whatever it was. I think there's so many little games that Mm -hmm. games that are played. So, but after, yeah, like you said, after Anthony Bennett was drafted one, then I had no idea how that changed my range because now, you know, all of a sudden someone that it, it wasn't going to go, the dominoes all fall. And so now, you know, a player that's like you said, projected to maybe go 10 or later goes one. Now there's plenty of options available. Now Nerlens and Noel is there at, at two, at four, at five, you know? So it, it's just, uh, yeah, after one, it was all chaos after that. Yeah, it was uh, remarkable. I spent a lot of time working, on that draft, I did the the Giannis uh, series built around like sort of the seven months before the draft and sort of him being discovered and then the pre-draft process. But it was just, you go back and look at the draft, you know, CJ McCollum at 10 to uh, Portland, obviously he's had a really good career and uh, Steven Adams at 12 to Oklahoma city. And then, and then obviously you get to Giannis at 15 and, and obviously Utah trades with Denver from like 32 to 27 and they take, they take Rudy Gobert on the back end. And it just shows you, like, we're going to talk about all these draft candidates next week, and we're all going to be so sure that, hey, the top four, these are the four best players. It's these four and everybody else. And we know that history is probably going to show something else, that it is just, it doesn't usually work out that way. And it's such an inexact science. And I think for you, Cody, like like you said, you were you had two brothers and brothers who played major college basketball play in the NBA. And then... You come in, like you said, McDonald's All-America, 
you know, a, a, a really a first-team high school All-America, a potential number one overall pick, and you get into a career and, like, you become you were a very good starting center in the league, and uh, you know you had playoff teams in Charlotte. You know you and Kemba with Steve Clifford coaching, getting in the postseason. You guys got back in in the play-in this year, certainly. But there, there sort of comes a point, right, Cody, where you realize in your career, okay, I'm I may not become an All Star, and you know when you're picked in the top five, there's that teams think that's what they're hopefully getting or top six. Once you got into the league and you sort of get past the wherever I was drafted for Victor goes to where you sort of settled in and said, this is my role in the league. This is how I'm going to impact a team. This is how I'm going to get paid. This is how I can help a team win. How does that thinking evolve early in your career where you come in with that the hype of, of again, fourth overall pick? Yeah, it is. Uh, I think especially early on, my first year or two uh, was really challenging. Um, a little bit to do with the the pressure of the number four pick. Like you said, you're you're always kind of you know like for Anthony Bennett, he's looked at it through that lens of the number one pick. Where if he was taken at fifteen, he might have had a better career. I think for me, I'm I was looked through the lens of of the number four pick, and and I I didn't try to. I don't feel like within the organization, I don't think they put a ton of pressure on me to live up to that, especially right away. But it was really, really challenging. I think the the biggest thing is um, it was really my first time being humbled as uh, on the court as far as, you know, in, in college, uh, the transition from high school to college went fairly easily for me. My freshman year, I played well. Um, and like I said, I had a chance to leave after my freshman year. Uh, but my rookie year, I mean, I, I played all 82 games, but there was a lot of games where I went out there and I mean, they were calling isolations when I was at the scores table. <laughs> I mean, I just got my, I got my butt kicked every night I went out there and it was really my first time where I'm like, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm even good enough to play in this league. And, you know, coach Clifford was really, really good for me. And, and, you know, even, even back to that in high school, college, you're the main guy, you're getting all the touches, you're getting a lot of shots, you're getting a lot of minutes. And now Coach Clifford is asking me the, the way that you get on the court is by rebounding, playing defense, and setting good screens. And especially for the number four pick, as that's not what I want to be doing. You know, I want to be scoring. I want to be, you know, having a bigger impact. But especially as a rookie, that's what they needed from me. And I really embraced that. And I was like, okay, you know, it took me a while to, to kind of buy into that. Um, but after I embraced it, I think even now it's helped me so much because uh, still to this day, those are the things I'm best at. I'm, I'm a really good screener. Uh, I play hard every night. I play defense. I do all the little things and that impact winning. And uh, I think that was, that's why I'm, I'm so thankful for coach Clover and kind of my, those first few years, especially I had so many good veteran players too, like uh, Josh McRoberts, um, uh, Al Jefferson, uh, Martin Williams and I are, you know, played six years together, uh, really close with him. And all those guys were saying the same thing. Like, you know, there's there's only a handful of guys on each team that are going to score all the points. Kemba's going to score. You know, those guys are going to score the, all the points. You know, there's a certain niche for guys that come in and play hard every night. You do all the dirty work that nobody else wants to do. You put your nose on the line. You dive on the floor. 
And, and I think that's what I'm, you know, still eight years later, I think that's still what I bring to the team is, um, and what I pride myself on is I make my teammates better. And, uh, when I'm on the court, the team plays well. So, uh, I just kind of embrace that role throughout my whole career. Yeah. And that's, and that's going to be your value in this free agency, whether it's to return to Charlotte, which is certainly an option or to go somewhere else. And I mean, you look at your career, Cody, and you know, you played at one high school in your hometown. You weren't off at, you weren't off at IMG or prep school. You, <laughs> you played in your hometown in Indiana, you played at IU, and then you've played eight years in Charlotte. You've not had a lot of change in your career and you're sort of on the cusp now of having to make a decision. And I think you're going to be in great demand. I know you are. Uh, and you, you, the things you just laid out, you know, you talk to GMs and coaches, and, and I know if Steve Clifford was still coaching in this league, and I know how he feels about you, he would want you on his team because he, he believes you impact, you impact winning. But obviously there's lots of factors in free agency. There's what's the financial number? Like, yeah, there's lots of teams who want me, but are they going to pay me a, a market value? Somebody else is going to, you have lots of factors, but this is new to you and looking out in the landscape. How do you, you know, you're probably, you may not be a day one free agent signing, although it does move quickly in this league now. And, and a lot of deals are done. And as you and I both know, there's deals done before free agency actually starts. Um, but, but how do you look at the landscape and how do you decide what fits for me? What do I want out of a team and where exactly, like, what's the environment that, that I want to choose and, and pick? Because I know you're thinking about all that stuff. You're talking with your agent, Sam Goldfeder at Excel. I'm sure if not every day, pretty often about w- what it all looks like out there. Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's kind of exciting. Like you said, it's, uh, it's my first time being a free agent. First time I really had a choice of been fortunate to be drafted by Charlotte in a good city. But uh, I think as I look at free agency, um, first of all, I want to win. And I think it aligns with, you know, what I bring to the team and everything that I stand for. Um, I think uh, interesting one, when I was coming out of the draft, I had, uh, I had dinner with one of the, one of the GMs for a team. And they said, you have to be motivated in this league by one of three things. And they said, it's either money, playing time or status. And it said it can't be about the lifestyle. It can't be about, um, you know, anything else. It has to be about one of those three things it has to motivate you. And so he, he gave me an example of a player for each one and my assignment for the night. And then I, I had to give him an answer the next morning was which one would I be motivated by? And I think uh, that's always kind of stuck with me. And I think uh, my answer was status. And I think, I think I've made uh, my my contract before this one was was a big deal mm-hmm. um, financially, and uh, playing time like I've played um, I played big minutes uh, started in this in this league uh, a couple hundred games I played thirty minutes a night, um, but you know I I think I could have a huge impact as a as a, even a backup center um, in free agency so I could either be a you know, a, a starting center on a fringe playoff team or a backup center on a, uh, a really, really good team competing for a top four um, home court advantage in the, in their conference. Um, so anyway, playing time is not important to me, but I think status is really the one. And, and his example for the player um, of status was Tim Duncan. And so status doesn't mean, you know, I, I want all the attention or I want, 
all the credit, but someone like Tim Duncan, where I want to be remembered as every time I stepped on the floor, I made an impact on winning and I made my teammates better. And I think that's what Tim Duncan did, his impact on winning. I think that's what I can bring to a team is, um, is, uh, is impact winning and make my teammates better. So as I go into free agency, I think that's what I'm looking for is, um, not necessarily, you know, sit on the bench for a team that's winning a championship. You know, I I'm looking at, you know, in, in my mind, a, a team that's the top four in the conference is, you know, they're playing for home court advantage. They aren't playing to make, make the playoffs. They're playing to have home court advantage and then anything can happen once you get in the playoffs. In my mind, that's a, that's a winning team. And even like I said, even if that means me playing 15, 20 minutes as a backup center, um, on a team like that, that's that that would be my ideal role in free agency. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Cody, even in your eight years in the league, from when you come out of IU in 2013 to what you see now, how dramatically different is the center position in the league? Has it changed more than any other position, perhaps? Yeah, it's changed like crazy. Uh, I, I always think back to my rookie year. Um, for one, Al Jefferson had his uh, third team all NBA in my rookie year, and he was rolling. Uh and I think that I think we had uh, we had ten at least ten games in a row where we held opponents under ninety points, and a lot of it had to do with our pace of play, because every time that we came down, we were uh, posting up Al, we throw it into Al, cut off of Al, he'd take a few dribbles, throw his little right hand hook, and then we run it back on you know like with six on the shot clock. So just to think of how. Uh, the NBA has changed. There's no post-ups anymore. You know, teams are scoring 120 a night and, you know, but it's fast paced. But I think the, the change has actually helped me and, and really fits my game uh, even more than what it was when I came in. So uh, I'm a mobile center. Um, you know, I can pass well, pick and roll, so many pick and rolls now, which is where, you know, I, I think that I'm best and where I can help a team. So, um, it is crazy to think back to, to my rookie year. My big Al was starting. Uh, Josh and Roberts was our four. Uh, Bismack Biombo was our backup center, and I was the backup power forward. So you think of me and Biz being on the court at the same time. My rookie year is our backup group. So anyway, it's it's crazy to think back to to those uh, eight years ago. Even no, no, it really is, and you think of that lineup and and you were winning i mean you you're winning it, largely that lineup goes and plays i don't know if it was your maybe it was your third year you go and play yeah. miami and lose that seven game series which was a great that was a that was a i just i 
remember being in a couple games in that series. I was at that game seven, um, and that was a physical, brutal series. And I remember, I just remember a really uh, broken-hearted Charlotte team losing in that game seven. You guys had, I think it was Courtney Lee played really well yeah. in that series, and. Trying to remember, somebody had a hand. Somebody had a hand injury, right? At the end. Who got hurt on your team? I'm trying to remember who. Yeah, it was. really, really good memory. We uh, and and even back to your previous question about what I'm looking for in free agency. That was my my favorite year of my career. Uh, it was my third year, uh, 2016, I think. Yep. And uh, there was a four way tie for third place, and we were we were in that mix. We ended up, like you said, playing the Heat, and uh, but just to for one, we had a veteran group, like you said, Courtney Lee, uh, Big Al, Kemba, Marvin Williams, uh, Jeremy Lin was huge for us off the Jeremy bench. Jeremy Lin had a year. great year. That that um, team, and that was one of the, I don't I mean to interrupt yeah. you, I look at Steve Clifford, and I always thought Cliff, uh, I always thought Terry Stotts did this in Portland with guys around the same time, and Cliff, he really increased the value of players. Guys came in, mm-hmm. you know, Jeremy Lin's value went back up again after his time yep. there. And Courtney Lee, Marvin Williams got a big mm-hmm. contract. You you got your $60 million extension off of... Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, too. Yeah. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist got, got, got 52, that, 54. That yeah. yeah, and anyway, but that, that was, I thought, a really... I hate the term overachieving because it was a talented team and Kemba was an all-star. But I always felt, boy, that team maxed out itself and it, yeah. game seven could have went either way. That was a good yeah. Miami team. And we and that that series and that's that's what I want. I want to be in those those playoff games. Like that was so much fun to be in those atmospheres. And uh, we lost um, we lost the first two in Miami. We won the next two in Charlotte. And then the favorite game of my career was Game Five in Miami, and we won on a Courtney Lee hit a hit a huge three with like 50 seconds to go, and we won Game Five. We had a chance to close it out Game Six. Uh, in Charlotte and uh, Dwayne Wade got hot with three or four minutes left in the fourth quarter. I think he had two threes and then he hit like a fadeaway jumper, like falling into the crowd. And uh, I don't think he made a three, like in that calendar year and he made two of them (laughs) back to back. So, uh, so yeah, I think it was kind of all deflating for us. That that was really our chance to win it game six at home. And then to go to Miami was going to be tough to win game seven in Miami, but, that was the favorite year of my career, just to play with veteran guys and in playoff atmosphere. That's what you. That's what you live for. Will you remember a little bit of a what if on this past season for your team, Cody? That Gordon Hayward injury. He was playing at a really high level for you. Lamelo Ball, you know, rookie of the year, and he loses, you know, about a month. Um, I thought your team was. I don't know if it was a four seed, but I think to me, like you were going to be like maybe a five seed, who knows, but you were playing really well. You could see the growth of your young player. Miles Bridges goes out with, you know, uh, COVID issues. Um, I imagine there's got to be, you look back at this year and go, you know, you got in the play in and, and it, and it didn't go the way you probably imagined it would. Um, but, but that team felt like it was going to be the team that was going to surprise people and, and was going to be a problem for people in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, well, obviously, I'm going to remember this year for a lot of reasons, mostly due to COVID, right. uh, how unique it was. But on the court, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a it was a fun year to play with 
with Gordon. Gordon was huge for us. Um, you know, signing him, another veteran guy that, you know, always makes the right play, very unselfish. And, you know, the the hype that Melo came in with, um, you know, he, he lived up to it. He, uh, you know, and even probably exceeded a lot of that. Um, and uh, he's so much fun to play with is his, his natural passing ability. Um, I don't know if I've, I've seen or played with many guys that just have a natural gift like that. And then, like you said, um, Miles is playing at a really, really high level at the end of the season. So, um, so yeah, I think, uh, it was a, it was a fun year for us, but like you said, you know, injuries, even myself having, um, you know, some bad luck with my hand injury and being out for four or five weeks, um, you know, bad luck with, you know, Miles getting COVID at the end of the year, um, you know, Gordon not staying healthy. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's a little bit of bad luck, but, uh, learning this league, there's, um, you know, injuries and stuff are just going to happen. Cody, did you, beyond maybe his passing ability and how just his ability to, he makes passes that you don't necessarily even see other players attempt on the court. Did LaMelo surprise you for maybe what you thought he was going to be like to what, what he was like coming in? You saw all the stuff prior to him come and he was on, you know, they had a family reality show and they were overseas and then He's in Australia, comes back. He surprised you in any way that what it was like with him day in and day out? Uh, he actually surprised me a ton. He was completely opposite of what I thought he was going to be off the court in that, like you said, I think I jumped to conclusion that, you know, I saw the family reality show. I saw that, you know, whatever millions of followers on Instagram and Twitter. And I was like, well, he was going to come, you know, an entitled young kid that, you know, is just all about social media. The furthest thing from the truth, he was, he came in, asked questions in, uh, in film sessions. He came in willing to work. Um, you know, there was even once where we were in the training room, uh, tables right next to each other. And he's like, man, he, social media is the dumbest thing. I wish I could just get off of it completely. And it was just like com- the last thing that I, I would envision from him, but super humble, super awesome teammate. Uh, you know, a lot of times he just wants to stay at home and do nothing. Like he's not one to go out. Uh, he just loves the game of basketball. He just, he puts in the extra work and, uh, that's what, you know, makes me as a, as his teammate more excited than anything about his future. Obviously you see the ability and you see flash of what he can become on the court. But I think off the court is his mentality is, um, what I think is going to carry him a lot further than, um, people really realize. Yeah, that's what I would get from people in Charlotte was just his enthusiasm every day, that every day he walked in the gym excited to play with a smile on his face, couldn't wait to see what was next. And that that it rubbed off, especially in a year where, you know, it was hard to keep the mood up. Um, There was a lot of, I think the teams who, you know this, like you had to just deal with a lot and it was easy to kind of feel like a little bit of a, you know, you kind of just trudge in another day, you know, waiting in the parking lot to test and coming in out of the cold. And this kid just came with a smile every day. And it was that it, that it kind of sparked your group a little bit. Yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, he never has a bad day, tons of energy. Um, and I think you just see like the, the locker room, like you said, uh, kind of pick up the spirits of everyone when he walks in the, in the room. So, uh, he was huge for us. Like you said, especially this year with COVID, we weren't, we couldn't hardly see anyone but our teammates. So, 
there's plenty of days where it's, you know, stuff started dragging on, but he was, he was one of the, one of the couple of guys in the, in the locker that really helped out our, our season. So, uh, was a great teammate through and through. Hey, Cody, you, you touched on this and I, I, I think when you've been in the league, as long as you have, you've been in one place, you've been on different kinds of teams in Charlotte, you know, and you haven't been able to experience a lot of the playoffs. And you think back to that Miami series in your third year and wanting to feel that again and be a part of that again, how much of a challenge is it as you advance in your career and you understand what a business it is and it's not necessarily what you imagined as a college kid or coming out and you get in and you, it's easy to get cynical in the NBA, right? It's easy to just, and guys get cynical and you're some, the, the people around the business of it can be cynical. How do you keep sort of that, that enthusiasm or that desire, like you said, to, you know, can I get to a top four seed you know, a team that's playing to be a top four seed in either conference and go and feel that and be a part of that. How do you manage that as you move through your career? Yeah, I mean, it, there's there's plenty of days where, you know, you play 82 games. There's plenty of games where, uh, especially in the morning, you wake up and you're like, man, I, I don't want to play tonight. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, I'm not feeling it. I've played, you know, 40 games already. My body hurts. Like we're in a you know, we're in a cold city. There's, you know, like you can come up with a million different excuses, but, uh, by game time, once you get, you know, once you get warmed up and, um, you know, you realize that, uh, and I, sometimes I have to remind myself, I used to always, um, I grew up as a, as a Pacers fan, but I was, we lived two hours from, uh, at the time it was, um, uh, market square arena square. And, uh, it was a huge deal for, for my parents, two working parents, uh, for one to get five tickets to a game and then for two to drive two hours up to see the Pacers play. And we would always be in the very last nosebleed. And we used to go maybe once a year, maybe once every other year. And, uh, for one, like I said, to, to afford the tickets for two, you know, it'd be a seven, seven thirty game. And then we'd, we'd watch the game. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever to be able to watch, uh, an NBA game. And it was really my only chance to, to see an NBA game live. And then, you know, we drive all the way home and my dad would be up at, you know, 5am the next morning to get to work. And so I think of that, like somewhere, somewhere in this arena, there's 10 year old Cody Zeller sitting in the very top nosebleed where his parents have worked months to try to afford five tickets to nosebleed. And this is like their one chance to see, an NBA game live or to see me play live. So there's plenty of times when I, when I kind of have to pitch myself and realize like I play basketball for a living. This is, this is pretty, this is pretty amazing. This is what I always dreamed of. So um, there's sometimes I have to have a little pep talk with myself to get myself going like that. No, that's great. That's great perspective. And, and you've got to be able to, uh, you're right. You've got to be able to remind yourself of that. Uh, sometimes uh, Cody Zeller headed into uh, NBA free agency here in August. Uh, Cody, wish you the very best. Um, pleased um, that I, I did not call you Tyler once. <laughs> you know, you said I, I was thinking about this as we were going on. I Now I remember, I, I don't think I, I don't know that I had your cell number, but I texted somebody to apologize. Who did I text? Yeah, Maybe it was Mike Stalin, your PR director? Jordan, Jordan Gertler. I was with Jordan at the time. Who's who's okay. with Excel? Yeah, it was Jordan Gertler because he. Yeah. You know what? He was walking down the hall with you. 
That's exactly and that's it. what yeah, it was. Absolutely. And I texted Jordan almost yeah. as soon as I passed you by, it was right? 30 seconds later, he's like, Hey, I just got a text from, you know, because we, we both said, Did he did he just call you Tyler? And I was like, ah, no big deal. And then 30 seconds later, you texted his phone. So, like I said, I tell you that story to make you feel better. No, no, uh, I deserve it. I deserve it, it but at least. So, uh, yeah, that's that's awesome. I, I'm often wrong, but at least I, I can, I try to be quick to acknowledge. <laughs> but no, but you listen, you've been awesome to uh, jump in here, Cody. A lot of fun to visit with you and uh, look forward to seeing where, uh, where you are next season. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Back here on the Woj Pod with Mike Schmitz, ESPN's draft analyst. You will see plenty of him over the next week leading into Thursday night's draft on both ESPN and ABC. Mike, how are you, man? I'm good, Woj. Back in back in Bristol, back at the, the cafeteria. I got my, my double tree cookie out here. It's good to be back out east and feel a little sense of normalcy. You got less than a week until draft night, so a lot going on, but all good stuff. Yeah, and, and we've got this draft I think is as anticipated as any in recent memory. I mean, this is a loaded group. There's a lot of enthusiasm in the league. you got you know a few teams with multiple picks. Can they move up? And I think now, though, Mike, the, the top of the draft, it feels like it's taking shape. I think we're confident of Cade Cunningham at number one. Detroit has not formally said that, but every indication is the Pistons will take Cunningham out of Oklahoma State. And I think right now there's a sense of Jalen Green at number two to Houston, Evan Mobley of USC, their big man to the Cavs at three, and Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga at four to Toronto, and perhaps even, and I think all along it had been four players, and I think you know there's some momentum at least, there's some traction perhaps, you know, that Scotty Barnes from Florida State stays in state with Orlando at five, uh, that that's very much uh, a possibility. I, I certainly wouldn't, not sure if we, we, we'd say we're, we're positive of that, but I think th- there's some reason to believe that. And then Oklahoma City at six and the Warriors at seven, and then things get moving there. But it feels like, Mike, anyway, the top of it is starting to, you can start to start maybe right, if not in pen, we're writing those in pencil right now. Yeah, I think definitely, especially with with Kate at the top, and then you just hear more and more of of Jalen Green at number two. You know, I think that's what Houston needs, right? Like this is a team that's looking for star potential, and I think he, you could argue, he has the most in the entire draft. Um, when you talk about a guy with his athleticism and and scoring ability, and then I think Mobley fits right in in Cleveland. You know, giving them a versatile big who can defend, who can step out who doesn't really need the ball in his hands to be effective. You know, I think that would be a a huge win for them. And then, and then Suggs in Toronto, obviously we saw what he did, you know, with, with Gonzaga. So I think it kind of opens up, you know, after Orlando, I think, I think Oklahoma city is maybe the more, the most interesting team, you know, just outside that top five. If, if Scotty Barnes does indeed go to Orlando and, you know, what do the thunder do? Is it a situation where they're looking to package all these assets and potentially move up for a franchise change? like a Cade Cunningham or, or like a Jalen Green or you know you hear the name James Booknight a lot you hear Jonathan Kaminga a lot um, you know I think those two are 
two of the more polarizing prospects in this draft. Um, you know, it, it seems like yesterday that NBA teams were at the G League bubble and talking about Kaminga. You know, I got a flurry of texts like, "Why, why isn't Kaminga the number one pick?" Like he, he's six foot eight and he's long. He's got a great body. Got all the tools and uh, you know just had kind of an up and down year there. But um, where he goes, I think, is one of the most interesting storylines in this draft. Yeah, Kaminga, Mike definitely feels like a player who is dropping. I think there was a sense during the year that he and Jalen Green were kind of perhaps back to back in that four or five slot. Jalen Green, I think, has moved up. Kaminga has moved down and. You know, it's funny, there was a real sense in the bubble that it was a great advantage for Green and Kaminga to both be there, especially in a college season where it was hard for teams and like GMs to go out and scout college basketball because they just weren't in arenas because of having to quarantine going in and out. I think there were less of them out and about seeing fewer games. And there you were in the bubble. Sam Presti was in the bubble for two weeks in Oklahoma City. He got a chance to watch Kaminga Green up close, really be around them, see them against NBA-level, certainly professional-level competition, NBA-level competition, playing with older players, playing on an NBA court with NBA rules and an NBA three-point line. If there was ever a year to be in that Ignite G League program, this was the year because of just how uneven the college season was. And it felt like both Green and Kaminga had stood up pretty well to that, and yet we get closer to the draft. Green moves up. Kaminga feels like is sliding. Yeah, and I think, to be honest, I think people are overthinking this one a little bit personally. You know, it, it seems like every year, the further you get from when the games were actually played, the more you nitpick players and, and think of all the reasons why you shouldn't pick them. Right. When it seems like, like I said, just yesterday, that Kaminga was this guaranteed top five pick, this two way versatile wing that every NBA team wants. And yeah, there are question marks about, you know, his style of play, um, you know, his decision making, his, his shooting ability, all that. But it's really hard to find six, eight wings with that type of body, that type of scoring ability, that type of footwork, that type of versatility. You know, on the high end, you think maybe he becomes a, a Jalen Brown type of guy. And, you know, if he's not that, maybe he's a Harrison Barnes, you know, somebody who can play either forward spot, um, score the ball inside and out, um, and defend a few positions. So uh, I do think that teams are, are nitpicking him a little bit because when, when I hear like, oh, he, he may slide all the way to nine, like to me, that's, that's crazy talk. Yeah, and I think Kaminga is going to be a guy that you see, if he does slide, there are going to be teams who think are going to be aggressive, and maybe that's mm. it. Number nine with the Kings and number 10 with New Orleans, and I think both those picks are very much in play. New Orleans, they're going to try to get certainly Bledsoe's contract off, and we'll see what they do with Steven Adams. They traded for him. They signed him to an extension. We'll see how he fits in here as they put their team together for next year, but no one's just taking that Bledsoe deal off your hands. And so part of a deal that might include, you know, something they like coming back, you're attaching the 10th pick. And this is a draft. When you have a draft this good and a lottery this strong, that 10th pick has more value than perhaps in, in other years. I mean, that's, you, you can get a really good, someone's going to slide there. Teams are going to be, they're going to be dying to get that guy. Maybe it's Davion Mitchell from Baylor. 
Yeah, I, if I was a contending team or someone who could take on a salary and, and get up into the top 10, I would be doing backflips if I could go get Davion Mitchell. Like to me, the idea that, you know, he's another guy who's going much lower than, than we had him um, over the last few weeks is also, it, it's shocking to me. And if, if any part of that is because of one-on-one workouts or, or what's been going on there. Like, watch the film on this kid. Like, did we not watch the NCAA tournament? Did we wa- not watch the national championship? Did we not watch the Big 12 tournament when this kid was guarding Cade Cunningham one possession and then, you know, breaking people off the dribble the next possession for pull-up threes, you know? So, um, I like I said, like, we get so much further from the actual action and we say, oh, well, he shot 65% from the free throw line during his college career. He, he must not be able to play. Like, If I were a team and that 10th pick was available, I would be running to get that done and to get Davion Mitchell in my organization. Yeah, and I think with Davion Mitchell, character is such a big part of it with him. That is part of the allure of him, and I think it's it's why he is attractive to teams. Work ethic, you know, I know he, he was in Phoenix at the finals, comes in for a game with his agent, Ty Sullivan, and he's really locked in on drew holiday and mm-hmm. how drew holiday is defending chris paul when yeah, certainly in that series when holiday started to pick up chris paul in the full court it changed the series i mean he really took chris paul out of the middle part of that series early and then into the middle and uh listen it's a player who just and you said it like he brings a toughness you've seen him do it at the highest level you saw him do it to jalen suggs in the national championship game and I think, listen, for Mitchell, it gets back to that, his work ethic, the kind of kid he is, kind of young man he is. And I think that really factors into the allure of him. But but it's, I think right now, some of the criticisms you hear are, you know, the analytics guys, they, they saw a, a poor career three-point shooter make a big jump this mm-hmm. year from, I think, the high 20s to the mid 40s. And is, is that going to sustain itself? But he shot a lot of threes this year. It wasn't on a small number. You said the free throw at the free throw line, and then Scotty Barnes, who from Florida State, who at number five, I think you've called him as impressive of a draft prospect overall composition as a as a guy as you've been around, and I think that's not that's a big part of the reason. All of a sudden, you see Scotty Barnes up at five in an Orlando team with two picks in the lottery, who who might bring you know keep a local kid in state there. Yeah, Scotty Barnes is the people's champ. That's what I call him Um, because you won't find one person uh, that whether it's USA Basketball, whether it's Montverde, whether it's at university school, even before that, coaches, teammates, academic advisors. I mean, they talk about this kid in such a high regard. And I've been able to spend some time around him, you know, a little bit since he was 15, 16 years old. Um, his competitiveness, his his empathy for others, his spirit. If you watch him during the combine in Chicago, like he didn't even need to be in the gym. And that dude did not leave the court for one second. Like he was coaching up uh, teams, he was talking to players, he was shooting. He, I mean, he he's just nonstop energy. And to me, he's kind of the new age Draymond Green. That's what that's what I've called him. Um, he has that type of. You don't want to compare anyone to Draymond, honestly, because he's so unique and he's wired mentally different than anyone. But Scotty is the one guy I would feel comfortable saying that because I think in a lot of ways he is a basketball genius. He's a basketball savant, and he brings that type of intensity as well. Um, you know, I'm not sure he's going to get on you quite like Draymond. He's more from a place of warmth and, and compassion but 
six nine seven three wingspan plays pretty much one through five he's one of the most interesting prospects in the draft no question i'm, I'm extremely high on him michael you look at the top of the draft and i think early on there was a sense you know both houston and cleveland would tell you hey we're open to looking at what's out there and to listening to trade offers on these picks history tells you those picks do not get traded they just don't the last time somebody traded out a number one <laughs> They regretted it. And I don't know if anybody wants to go near doing that again. Markel Fultz mm-hmm. and the Jason Tatum deal between Boston and Philly. And, and we know how that turned out for the Sixers. But I think as we get closer now, I get the sense Houston is locked in there. Cleveland locked in at three. They want to be better next year. And, you know, they want to improve. They want to win um, and get closer, at least compete to be in you know, the playoffs. And so, you know, I know there's been some talk around Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, their guards. I don't think Cleveland's trading out to necessarily like go younger, go get another lottery pick. I Like they want to be good next year. The one thing though, to me, and it's going to be a wild card, not in, not just in this draft, but probably the next few drafts is Oklahoma City because they have so many picks. They have three picks in the first round. They're at number six and then they've got Boston's pick from the Kemba Walker deal down at 16. And then they pick again um, at 18. They're going to be able to, if they really want somebody and they put themselves in position with so many picks, at some point you will say yes to them on moving down. If there's a guy they're dying for, um, not just picks this year, but future picks and you know perhaps one of their young players or somebody who you might have interest in, they can get up. I don't believe they have tried yet to move up into that top three. But you probably, if you're going to make that call, you might make it as we get into next week. And if all of a sudden they decide, let's say we love Evan Mobley at mm-hmm. USC, and we're going to call Cleveland and we're going to knock on that door and we're going to offer them you know, th- our three picks in this draft or a future one, whatever. I just think... The Thunder are a threat to do that and move up because of just the inordinate amount of picks they have moving forward. So they may yet to be heard from this week, or they may stay right where they are, and we'll see there. Is is James Booknight from UConn, could he be all the way up the board to number six at Oklahoma City, number seven with the Warriors? That's a name to watch. We, we kind of had him outside the lottery coming in. And now he could be in play as far up as there. But I, I think it's going to be interesting to watch the Thunder here because they've got a lot of swings at the plate moving forward. And I think it starts, it certainly starts in this draft. Yeah, I think Book Knight and, and Kaminga are those are the two names that that are really interesting, you know, at, at that spot. And if if I were them, honestly, I would be trying to move up into this top three. You know, I I, I think that. Jalen Green, Cade Cunningham, and Evan Mobley are number one picks in pretty much every draft. Um, like I think this draft genuinely has three number one caliber players, uh, and, and that starts with Cade. Honestly, I'm not sure we've talked enough about like how good this kid is. You know, like we always kind of brush past it. Like oh, he's a pretty good player. You know, like this is the number one pick in what we're calling it, like a generational draft, and he's a pretty good player. Like no, this kid is an absolute stud. I think he's a franchise changer. And I looked back at you know the top. Uh, the last like 10 number one picks. And I think you could argue he's the best other than AD and Zion in, in terms of like the amount of buzz um, and, and what we thought of him going into the draft. Why is that? Is that because college, we just didn't see enough of him? We didn't 
college basketball and like what what was it what is it about Cunningham that there just isn't that the way you feel about him I know how you felt about Luka Doncic coming into his draft that there was no question in your mind he was number one overall pick and I haven't heard you as enthusiastic about a player at the top of the draft since and it was only three years ago but I think you you've not been afraid of making that comparison between Doncic and Cunningham yeah, I think people aren't like blown away because he doesn't jump off the screen, you know, like he's not this sexy prospect who's going to jump 45 inches and, and put you on a poster. You know, he's he's not Zion Williamson like he he's not going to sell out arenas. He's not going to break the Internet. Um, he's not Jalen Green, honestly, in that sense, too, like Jalen Green. You know, you put up one highlight of Jalen Green, the Internet explodes because his game like really pops. But Cade reminds me of Luca in that way, just because a lot of people said the same thing about Luca. I remember his pre-draft process, like even people who were in like different workouts with him, whether it's some Nike shoot or something like that, being like, are, are you sure? Like we saw this kid, he, he, he's slow and he, he looks chunky and like, it's like, no, go back and watch the film. Watch, watch what he was doing at that level. And I, I feel that way about Cade because people say Cade is slow and people say, you know, can he get by anybody? Can he play point guard? Can you put the ball in his hands? Like I'm watching Chris Middleton and what he did for the Buck series. And that's Cade Cunningham's like floor. That's like his worst case is that he's one of the best players on a team that just won in the NBA Finals. And his best case is Luka Doncic. Um, so I think a lot of it is just because he doesn't have this huge personality. He doesn't have this explosive uh, element to his game. But he's 6'8". He makes step back threes like Doncic. He can see over the top and make every pass. Um, and the fact that he brought a very mediocre Oklahoma State team. I mean, they beat Baylor. Let's not forget that. Mm -hmm. They beat the national champion. And, and a lot of that was because of him and the way he can control the game. So, you know, Jonathan and I, Jonathan Gavoni, like we, we're lucky that we're able to see these guys since they're young and able to see him play with Montverde and, you know, be a real floor general and put up triple-double type numbers or see him in EYBL or see him alongside Tyrese Halliburton at the, at the U19s and Evan Mobley and Jalen Green. They were all on the same team, and Cade was arguably the best player. Um, so... We've seen him at all these stops. He's been a stud at every single spot. And, you know, I just think that he deserves a little bit more credit for, like, the transformational star that I really think he's going to be. Mike, who's the one or two players in this draft that teams seem really polarized about? Love them, hate them, but can't figure out what to think of them. Yeah, I think there's there's a few. I mean, we touched on a couple of them, you know, Kaminga, um, you know, Book Knight is kind of one of these these polarizing guys. Um, you know, I think Jalen Johnson from Duke is is somebody that that teams are are trying to figure out. You know, they're 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 trying to figure out um, one like how, how good is he, right? You know, he he had the abbreviated year, you know, at Duke, bounced around a little bit in high school. Um, you know, we had him as high as four at, at one point this season, and, and so. Um, when you talk about a guy who's six nine, six ten, with that body and that versatility, um, you know you'll hear things like Aaron Gordon, right? Um, when it comes to to Jalen Johnson, then you'll also see like, okay, is he consistently competitive? You know, why didn't he show up in every single game at Duke? Not when he left, but like when he was actually playing. Why was it one day twenty five, fifteen, and six, and then the next it's three, five, and two? You know, um, on a team that that you know could have used him to produce more when, when he was there. So he's a guy you hear 
all over the board. You know, Zaire Williams from Stanford is, is another one, kind of a tantalizing wing who's who's getting a little bit of buzz. Um, you know, there's a big kid from Turkey, Alperin Shingun. Yep. Uh, analytics models top five. Like, he's he's off the charts. Um, you know, you, you see glimpses of, like, a baby Jokic sometimes. He, he put up monster numbers. And then you look and say, okay, he's a slow 6'10 center. Um, so there are a lot of names like that who I think are are all over the board. And, and one last one I'll give you who I think is getting some buzz in the top 10 is Josh Giddy. Um, yeah. Australian national team, 6'8 point guard. He's one of the only players in Australian NBL history to have back-to-back triple doubles. Yeah. Lamella Ball, the, the other one. Um, and I, I was in Vegas and watched him practice for like two and a half hours. And seeing him against Matisse Thibel, one possession, mm-hmm. and then Joe Ingles yep. the next – uh, was pretty eye-opening. So I think you could see him get looks, you know, as high as number seven to the Warriors. The video breakdowns you do with players, Mike, and sit down with guys and watch tape with them and talk through how they see the game, how they see perhaps their role in the NBA, where they can improve, what they're really good at. You know, I know the teams find them invaluable because for many teams, it's access they can't get to a prospect or it's additional access that they may or may not um, have with the draft process, what have you, how valuable has that been for you to really understand and make your evaluations of players based on not just sitting and talking with a guy, but getting on the film and really breaking down tape with them and, and, and getting a sense of how they see themselves and how they see themselves fit into a league and a role that might be ahead for them? I think it's huge, you know, having basically an hour, sometimes an hour. I mean, with Davion Mitchell, we sat down for almost two hours. And and we could have kept going. Um, and, and at that point, you get to see, okay, this kid, one, remembers every single play from this past season, like every single play. And two, oh, he has been watching Drew Holiday. Oh, he has been watching Kyle Lowry. Oh, he has been watching Donovan Mitchell. And you get a look at... Uh, one, how they see the game, and then two, how they handle criticism. You know, the, the, the stuff you see on YouTube that's 25 minutes long, that's like the best hits, but we go for about an hour. And a lot of times, I'll, I'll be brutally honest, you know, and, and just try to, you know, tell guys, prospects, young prospects, like, these are the areas you really need to improve, and here's proof of that, right? And, and you see guys who understand that and then you see guys who run from it or guys who make excuses um and to me the the players who can always like take that constructive criticism and and apply it and say how they've been trying to tackle those shortcomings uh really really impressed me and and so it for me it's it's been invaluable it's it's my favorite thing i do um in this entire space uh getting to know these guys on a personal level getting to just talk basketball in a longer form that's not just a 90 second quick hitting thing so um i love it you know team teams say they they enjoy it as well i think the players do too so you know, it's uh, a lot that goes into it, but um, I think it's an important part of the process. And it's something that teams do more of now, like at the Combine. Uh, like I, I've had players come up to me and say, hey, I'm really glad we did that when we did because like five or six teams showed me a lot of the same plays that you did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's becoming more and more a part of the process. Mike, the, the pandemic and how it impacted scouting and evaluation of players, you were as limited as the teams were. You Like they weren't able to go out, you weren't able to go out, and then eventually it started to open back up are we seeing do you feel any impact or catch up or is there going to be are we our teams maybe putting a greater premium on one workout in one day versus having seen them play 
in person over an extended period. What's the pandemic's impact on the evaluation in this 2021 draft? I think it's a big part of it because you don't get those early touch points. You know, for, for me, like if I was running a front office, I think getting eyes on prospects as many times throughout the process as possible is so important. Like you can't just show up at the NCAA tournament and see Evan Mobley play 28 minutes and say, oh, I got him figured out. You know, like you have to go see him at USA basketball camp. You have to go see him um, at the Nike Hoop Summit for a week. And teams weren't able to do that. There was no Nike Hoop Summit. There was no McDonald's All-American. There was no Jordan brand. And those are times when, you know, even executives are there sitting down watching and, and getting that first look at them. Like James Wiseman's a good example of that. Even though he played just the three games, teams saw him for a week straight at Hoop Summit. They saw him playing amongst his peers, scrimmaging every single day, playing a game um, against some of the other best players in the world in, in their age group. So that's why when you look at a guy like Jalen Johnson, it's hard because I didn't see him at Nike Hoop Summit. I, I didn't. I barely saw him at, at USA Basketball. I was lucky enough to see him a little bit on Nike EYBL. Um, but you just don't have those early reference points to lean on. And I think it's played a role in this year's draft. And I think it's also going to continue to play a role in these next coming classes as well. Yeah, it's remarkable. And I think this is, again, a, a year where I think there's a lot of folks, I think you, Jay Billis, uh, Jonathan, think this might be as deep of a draft as we've had since 2003. And there may, probably is not a LeBron in this draft. There probably won't be a LeBron in any draft, perhaps ever again. There may never be anybody quite like him again. But the depth of it and I think the fact that um, you know, you talk to teams who are picking in the 30s and the 40s who think like they can get players that can help them, that this is a deep draft. Josh Primo from Alabama in the 20s, that's a name I keep hearing yep. uh, with people, right, who, who is, you know, we'll, we'll see where he ends up, um, you know, maybe mid to early 20s, but just quality guys. I mean, a top SEC player. It, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I think, Mike, we're going to have a lot of action this week, and I think teams, again, having – a few teams with multiple picks gives teams a chance to move up. I think we got teams who might like to move out. And again, you know, you always have this situation where someone's dropping and someone's targeting a guy and they're, and they're trying to get up and get at him. So I, I, I think there's going to be, I don't like any year, there's going to be trades, there's going to be draft night wheeling and dealing. But I think the depth of this draft makes people want to be in on the action of it. Yeah, no question. And a lot of the names that, that you mentioned, I mean, you got, you know, even Jared Butler, one of the best players in the country, yep. he might go in the 20s, you know. Um, you talk about Trey Murphy from Virginia. I mean, you keep Late hearing bloomer. his name. Yeah. Late bloomer. Yep. You know, he, he could get looks as high as the lottery. Moses Moody, really good player, 18 points a game in the SEC as a freshman. He's going to go potentially in the late lottery. So Corey Kispert, we saw how successful yep. he was. I mean, Io DeSumo, he might go in the second round. He was one of the best players in the country. And so you go down the line, I think there's a really interesting mix of veteran guys who can contribute right away, some of these swing guys who are more long-term prospects. And whatever flavor you're looking for, whether it's at the top, in the middle, second round um, a lot of exciting players in this draft and just looking forward to to getting to july 29th yeah well listen you're going to see mike schmitz all week on espn you're going to see him on draft night on on espn and and on abc we've got two shows this year on thursday night so it's gonna be a lot of fun we'll be in bristol here for a couple more days and then off to brooklyn so try to get some sleep here mike and we'll we'll keep rolling through this thanks thanks for dropping in as always man Thanks, Woj. Appreciate it. 
thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, eight-year NBA veteran Cody Zeller and ESPN's draft analyst Mike Schmitz. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure also to listen to The Low Post with Zach Lowe, The Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst, and be sure to catch on ESPN Sunday at 1.30 Eastern the latest edition of the Woj and Low Show. We'll catch you next time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.